Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. S.W. Hubbard's twisty, edgy mysteries are favourites with readers who like her complex characters and sly humour. Hi there, I'm your host, Jenny Wheeler, and today on the Binge Reading Podcast, S.W., or Sue to her friends, talks about what it takes to be a successful indie author with not just one or two, but three different series to her credit. Along with the show, we're giving away three ebook copies of the latest estate sale mystery, Treasure Built on Sand. It's a really good, twisty, domestic thriller. Enter the draw on the Joys of Binge Reading website or our Facebook page. Remember, entries close March 14, 2020, so get in now. And just a reminder, you'll find the full show notes and links for this episode on the website, thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find details also about how to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss future episodes. But enough from me, now here's SW. Hello there, Sue, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Look, Sue, you're the author of two different mystery series, which you describe as twisty and just a little bit edgy. But before we get into talking about the books, could you tell us a little bit about how you got started in writing fiction? Was there some sort of epiphany when you thought, I've really got to do this? Or is it something you've always harbored a desire to do? Well, I was always a bookworm. I always uh, was a reader from a very young uh, age, and I always loved mysteries. I started with the Bobsy Twins and uh, quickly moved up to Agatha Christie. Um, I was an English major in college, and I always worked as a writer, uh, marketing writer, newsletter, that sort of thing. Uh, but when I, after I got married, my husband and I were struggling to have a baby. And um, I thought, well, if I can't make a baby, maybe I'll just make a book. It would be some therapy for me to write a mystery. So that's when I began writing uh, my first mystery, Take the Bait. And uh, that project sort of taught me to write. Uh, It took me 10 years to write it. (laughs) <laughs> because I had a lot of uh, revision and uh, uh, belonged to a lot of different writing critique groups to sort of uh, teach myself along the way. But uh, eventually that book uh, did get me a literary agent and did get me started uh, on my writing career. That's fabulous. So perhaps we'd like to just establish right at the beginning that you write under the name of S.W. Hubbard. So when I call you Sue, I want our, re- our listeners to fully understand that when they look for your books, you are SW. I think that's because there's another Sue Hubbard out there writing and stuff that isn't at all like what you write. Is, isn't that right? Correct. Yeah, that's good. So SW or Sue, either one's going to do. You write the kinds of mysteries that you love to read, which are twisty, believable, full of complex characters and highlighted with sly humour. Now, you've mentioned you've been a lifelong mystery fan. What do you think attracts you to mystery books as a genre? 
Well, mysteries um, help us to sort of explore the dark side of ourselves and help us to deal with our fears, I think. And then um, in the end, usually justice is served. And so the world comes around and is restored to uh, rightness again. So uh, that's that's what appeals to me. And I always try um, I always try to take the crime in my books very seriously. I don't think there's anything um, funny about murder, <laughs> but I do think that every one of us is capable possibly of committing a violent act if something that we love or care about is threatened. So um, that's what I try to explore in my books, what would drive average people to commit a crime. Um, I never write about serial killers or, you know, people who are, you know, assassins or hitmen or professional uh, criminals in any way. I always write about uh, just average people who are driven to do something extraordinary in the course of their of their lives. <laughs> sure. So you now have two different series that you've established Police Detective Frank Bennett and the Adirondack series, and Audrey Nilon and the Estate Sale Mystery series. Um, Take the Bait, was that also part of one of those series? Yes, that was actually the first book in the Frank Bennett series, but, um, well, that's a, a long and complicated story about my public, the first three books were published by Simon and & Schuster, and then um, that contract was not renewed, and then I started writing more uh, books in that series uh, that are independently published, and uh, I was never able to get the rights back to take the bait. The other two I got the rights back to, but uh, so really the series now begins with the lore, but um, yeah, that the, the very first book was still a Frank Bennett book. So, the, and the Frank Bennett series, he operates out of this town called Trout Run in the, I think it's upper state New York, isn't it? It's a lovely, pretty mountain village. Right. I gather that it might be similar to, to, to places that you've lived yourself. Is that is that right? Well, my husband and I had, um, we love the Adirondacks. We live in New Jersey. So um, the area where Frank Bennett uh, is located, uh, Trout Run is a, a fictional town, but it's located in the High Peaks area of the Adirondacks. And uh, if you're familiar with the uh, the Olympics, the 19, I think, 82 Olympics took place in Lake Placid. And so it's near um, it's near there. Um, we uh, my husband and I uh, built a small vacation home there years ago before our kids were born. And uh, we just love the area. So we uh, we go back there all the time. And um, I decided to to. Uh, write that first series uh, about a small town police chief and sort of base it on real towns um, that exist up there. It's sort of a, a combination of several different small towns uh, that, that actually exist. And I, I like to mix in real places with my fictional town. So there, there's people get a kick out of that, hearing the, you know, the real places mixed in with the fiction. Yeah, yeah. And then Audrey, so when did Audrey come along? She's an estate sale expert. So she moves in when somebody's recently died and helps the family to 
get rid of all the belongings if they need help with that kind of thing. A great setup because she can move into all different sorts of houses and meet all different sorts of people. But when did you decide you wanted a second series? Well, um, when the Frank Bennett series, I had written the three books and then my contract with Simon & Schuster was not renewed. And so I decided to, um, my agent, my literary agent at the time told me that I should just write something new, something completely different. And um, what I decided, what inspired me was uh, my own mom uh, passed away and she lived in Pittsburgh, which is about six or seven hours away from where I live in New Jersey. So um, it was really a big challenge how I was going to, I'm an only child, so uh, it was a big challenge on how I was going to clear out her house and put it on the on the market after she passed away. So um my real estate agent who was helping me sell the house said, well, you know, you should just hire an estate sale agent. They'll come in here and they'll do everything for you. You know, they'll sell off everything in the house and just leave it clean and empty and ready to be sold. So uh, I had never really dealt with anything like that before. And so I did hire an estate sale organizer to do my mom's house. And I just thought, wow, what a great, what a great job, you know, (laughs) (laughs) because I was acutely aware of how, you know, I took, I only wanted a few mementos to keep, you know, from my mom's life, but I was just acutely aware that this woman was going to be going through my mom's possessions and and sort of seeing her whole life uh, through her possessions. So um, I just thought that was a pretty cool uh, setup for for a mystery, uh, uh, an, an amateur sleuth mystery. So... Yes, and book six in that series called Treasure Built on Sand is just recently published. And actually, we're going to be having a giveaway associated with this episode. So people who are interested might like to enter the draw to see if they can win a copy of that. I get the feeling from that. I mean, I'm probably a person who likes to dig around in secondhand shops and things. I think a lot of us do. But I get the feeling that you really enjoy that aspect of the the little items that are found in the back corners of people's houses. Do you like to bargain hunt for treasure yourself? Well, I do like to go to estate sales. Um, I'm not a hoarder by any... (laughs) And my husband is even more not a hoarder. So he keeps a pretty (laughs) short leash in terms of acquiring uh, a lot of stuff. But um, I do like to go to estate sales. There's usually quite a few around where I live. And I do like to go to them to get some inspiration. I did uh, buy a very pretty little Limoges dish recently that I, uh, that I bought at a, at a state sale. But um, yeah, I mean, when you go, it's, it's really fascinating to see what people have. And there's usually, you know, beautiful things right next to awful things. And <laughs> it's quite a range of people's, uh, you know, possessions. And usually the estate sale organizer, their, their philosophy is put, you know, put a price tag on everything, you know, they'll sell, you know, they'll sell half a box of tea bags, you know, I mean, it's like, if it was in your house, they're going to sell it, <laughs> you know, so it, it's interesting to see. Uh, and it's, it's very interesting to see the other, the other uh, shoppers, you know, because some of the people are really, really gung-ho and really would probably, uh, you know, push you under a bus to get, <laughs> to get the item that they, uh, they have their eye on. Yes. Now, over the course of the six books, I think both Audrey and Frank have had significant life 
changes over the courses of the, each of the series. But I was quite intrigued to see online that you wrote a novella about Audrey's life in response to requests from readers that they wanted to know about this aspect of Audrey's life. And I, I sort of thought it was interesting that reader, reader participation had, you know, played a part in her development. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So at the end of um, This Bitter Treasure, which is book three, Audrey is engaged. And then at the beginning of Treasure in Exile, which is a book, used to be book four, is now book five, um, she was already married. And the reason I did that was I just, uh, Treasure in Exile was already a pretty complex plot. And uh, I thought, wow, I just don't think I can deal with uh, having her wedding as a subplot in this book because there's just so much else going on. So I just kind of made this decision that she would already be married and that the wedding had sort of taken place off off stage, so to speak. But my readers weren't having it. <laughs> so people started uh, texting me and, and contacting me on Facebook and whatever and saying, um, you know, what happened to the wedding? How, you know, did I miss a book? You know, when did they get married? And so I thought, wow, well, they, they want to see this wedding. So um, I wrote a novella called uh, Treasure Borrowed in Blue. And it's all about Audrey and Sean's wedding. But there's no uh, murder in it because, uh, I don't know, murder doesn't really seem to go with a wedding. But uh, <laughs> there is a crime. There is a uh, stolen Audrey's uh, wedding dress gets stolen. And so there's a crime and sort of a surprising uh, resolution to that. And a lot of, of course, family uh, conflict around the wedding because every everyone knows that weddings are very stressful. So there was plenty of conflict to work with there. Now, both of your, your lead people, Audrey is now married to Sean and Frank's got his wife, Penny. Um, how do you keep a series interesting once you're main characters have got a settled domestic life. Is that is that a bit of a challenge for the, for a series author? Well, they do have a settled romantic life. I wouldn't say that their entire domestic life is <laughs> without conflict. Um, they both, you know, had, had courtships that went over the course of several books. But I really don't like books, series that go on and on and on with, you know, will she or won't she, will she or won't you? So I just didn't want to drag the courtship out, you know, endlessly. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, now Audrey and Sean are trying to um, get pregnant and that's not going well. And uh, Frank and Penny have a big age gap. Uh, in their uh, life. And so Pen uh, Frank was a widower before he uh, married Penny. And uh, so they have some conflict, you know, between uh, working out relationships with his grown daughter and his grandchildren. And so there, you know, there's always some family conflict going on in the background there. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't, you know, people have to be, no one really wants to read about happiness. So <laughs> you have to make your, you have to make your characters suffer a little bit. So uh. <laughs> yes, yes. And now you've taken a little bit of a sidestep into women's fiction recently with a book called Life Part Two, Lydia's Story. And that's the story of a 45 year old widow who feels she's missed out on life. 
And it ties back into the Audrey estate sale series as well. Some of the characters cross over. Tell us a little bit about this new direction that you've taken. Well, I had so much fun writing that novella and it really just kind of uh, rolled right out of me. And I thought, wow, maybe I should try my hand at writing uh, a story that doesn't have a mystery in it. Uh, my, my readers are always telling me that what they love about my books is that they love the characters. You know, they, they uh, get really attached to my characters and they and they feel that they're very uh, realistic, that they know, you know, they feel like they know these people. So I thought, well, I, you know, I can do that and just leave the mystery out. How hard could it be? But <laughs> it was challenging. But um, so, yeah, it takes place in the life. Part two takes place in the same town, uh, Palmerton, which is the town that Audrey uh, runs her business uh, in. And so Audrey makes a cameo appearance. Uh, but it's really uh, Lydia's story. And she uh, she had married uh, a much older man when she was 25. And now she wants to, uh, by the time she's 45, she's a widow. And she wants to kind of go back and um, live her 20s over again. The, the She kind of jumped from being 25 to being the wife of a middle-aged man. So she uh, kind of wants to go back and live the years that she uh, she missed. And discovers that youth is not uh, as easy as it looks. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded a little, there seemed to be a hint that that might be the start of a new series as well. Is there any thought of doing more on that line? Yes, because it went over really well. It's been quite popular. And um, so what I plan to do is um, to have each book they're all, they're all, what links them is this town of Palmerton. And so um, in the next book, uh, Lydia's best friend, Roz, will be the main character. Lydia will be still in the book, but it'll be Roz's story. And then uh, they have some other friends, you know, so each book will be the story of a different woman in this circle of uh, friends in, in this town. Sounds great. Um, and over the course of your writing, you've obviously had the experience of being a traditionally published author. I mean, Simon & Schuster is one of the top league um, publishers, but you're also making now a really good job of being indie published. Can you tell us a little bit about that kind of transition? You've seen probably the best and worst of both both sides of the coin. Yes, for sure. Um, when, you know, when I was first um, accepted by Simon & Schuster, I thought, you know, it was the, a dream come true. It was like, uh, you know, my ship had come in and I wrote three books for them. And then uh, they decided to cancel their mystery line. And so I was out of luck. I didn't have a contract anymore. I was not renewed. And um, I thought, well, you know, how hard could it be? I'll just move to a different publisher. But it turned out to be extremely challenging. It was just as hard to try to get published again by a traditional publisher the second time as it had been the first time. And um, I wrote um, Another Man's Treasure, which is the first book in the uh, estate sale series. And my uh, agent just loved it. And she sent it around to every uh, publisher in New York and they all I got great responses and and the you know the low level editor would read it and say oh I love it I love it and then it would have to go up the food chain to the highest 
you know, editors in the in the publishing house. And somehow it would work its way all the way up. And then they would say no, you know, they would pass on it. So I was really devastated um, when it didn't sell. And uh, my agent said, well, you know, just, uh, you know, put it in a drawer and write something else. And I was like, no way, you know, I'm not going to just throw this away. Everyone said it was good. No one said that they didn't like it, you know. So I said, well, I'm going to I'm going to self-publish it. And she said, oh, that'll never work. And <laughs> she she lived to regret those words because <laughs> I, um, I did. You know, certainly I, I made a lot of mistakes along the way, but I taught myself the ins and outs of self-publishing and um I really love it. I love uh, I love driving my own bus. You know, I love doing the marketing and uh, I love being in control. And so it's turned out really, really well for me. So it's definitely a case of uh, one door closing and another door opening. Yeah. And I understand that you're also still you're doing some writing, teaching as well still, are you? Um, for both adults and college student level. Is that right? Well, I got. I I just retired from teaching um, in January, so I have to. I have not updated my bio on my website. I have to do that. But uh, I did teach writing for ten years at a community college, and I really loved it. I really, really loved my students, uh, and I missed them. But it was kind of time. My husband recently retired, and um, it was just time for me to you know devote myself to my writing and to uh, be able to have the freedom to travel you know, so uh, yeah. doing some yeah. volunteer tutoring and I hope to do some lecturing on self-publishing um, because I do, I do like to teach, but uh, I don't want that. I don't want to be locked into the academic year schedule. So, Actually, that was where I was going with it because with your experience, terrific experience, um, there would be a lot of people who would benefit from learning about both the pitfalls and the benefits of, of indie publishing? Yeah, yeah. I, um, you know, I hope to do a, a few talks um, to different like mystery groups and, and so on. Um, I don't really want to do other people's marketing. I, you know, there there is an opportunity for that to, you know, set yourself up as the marketer for other people. But um, I don't know, I, I have a passion for marketing my own books, but I, it's a lot of work and I don't necessarily want to you know, take on other yeah. people's uh, yeah. problems. <laughs> what do you think is the most obvious thing that new writers underestimate in terms of the challenges? Is there one thing that more than any other you'd kind of warn them about? Well, um, I would say that you really need to um, know who you're readers are. I, I think a lot of times people, you know, you'll ask someone, well, you know, who, who would enjoy your book? Oh, everyone will enjoy it. Well, that's, you know, not true, first of all. <laughs> Second of all, uh, it, it doesn't make it, you know, it. you'll have a really hard time marketing your book if you don't have an understanding of who your prime uh, key readers are. So you need to know who your readers are and then where do they hang out and then what would make them you know, what can you do that would make your book most attractive to them? Um, and I would say the most important thing is to is to come up with the right cover. Uh, I didn't really know much about cover design when I when I started out. And uh, I, I don't know, Another Man's Treasure uh, does not have the perfect 
genre specific cover, but it has sold and sold and sold and sold. So I'm not going to change it. I don't want to mess with success. But um, I did, you know, with this, uh, I ended up recovering uh, my Frank Bennett books to try to make them um, exactly right for the sort of um, subgenre of mystery that they are in, which is sort of, uh, I, I call it a location-specific mystery. I, I have a lot of readers who, all for the Frank Bennett books, there's a lot of readers who um, seem to enjoy other like outdoor-focused authors like C.J. Box and, um, you know, Craig Johnson, who writes the Longmire series. So uh, I kind of tried to make my covers more in tune with like what, what they were doing. Interesting that that, that in, indicates that the trad publisher maybe didn't necessarily get the covers right either. No, well, the very first, uh, the Take the Bait cover was really good. I really liked it. Um, but uh, the other two I never uh, particularly cared for. And then when I got the rights back to the other two, you, you don't, you get the rights back to your own words. You don't get the rights back to your cover. Uh -huh. So uh, I, I had to recover them once when I got the rights back, but then I didn't do a very good job. So then I, I recovered them again um, when I had my wits about me and <laughs> came up with, uh, uh, you know, the ideal covers uh, for, for those. And, uh, you know, now I, I think I came up with a pretty spot on cover for the, uh, for the uh, women's fiction uh, book. So yeah, it's, you, you really have to study your competition and come up with a, with a cover a lot of times people feel like they want their cover to be really different, but you really don't want your cover to be really different. You want your cover to fit into your genre so that readers who are browsing are like, ah, this, this is what I usually like to read, you know? Yes, yes. Look, Looking back over your experience now, is there one thing that you've done perhaps more than any other that you would credit as the secret of your success? Um, I, I would say just creating really believable characters. Um, I am I am not a fast writer. Um, I was, you know, when I was traditionally published, I was writing one book a year. Then then I started writing two books a year when I was, you know, self-published. And now that I'm retired, I'm trying to write three books a year. But I don't see myself ever getting any faster than that. I'm just not a fast writer. I spend a lot of time thinking, too much time thinking. Um so I, I can't write to trends. Uh, a lot of people can write to trends and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but I'm just not fast enough. You know, by the time I would get the book done, the trend would be over. <laughs> so um, I really, uh, but what on the positive side, you know, uh, Another Man's Treasure was released way back at the end of 2012 and it's still selling. It's still my bestseller. So um it's not trendy. It's just a book that's based on a really believable characters. And um, that's what has worked for me is just creating these characters that people love. That's wonderful. Look, turning to Sue as reader, because this is the joys of binge reading. We're trying to cater for giving people suggestions for other books to read as well. Are you a binge reader yourself and who do you like to binge read? Well, that's a good question because I am very, very grateful that there are binge readers in this world who start at the beginning and read every single book in a row. Um, <laughs> but uh, honestly, I don't read that way. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I'm not a compulsive person at all. So it does not bother me to start in the middle of a series and just dip in and dip out. You know, I usually like to, to mix it up, you know. Um, so uh, there are certainly authors that I have read all their work. Um but I didn't necessarily read them one after another after another without taking a break. So I'm a big lover of all things British. So I've definitely read all the work of um, Colin Dexter and Ruth Rendell and P.D. James. So those are some sort of classic Brits that I that I've definitely read everything of. Um, nowadays, um, I like um, I had to make notes for myself so that I wouldn't forget who I wanted to mention. I like Anne Cleves amongst the, the Brits. Uh, Michael Robotham, who I think is Australian. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I like him. And then uh, among Americans, I like I, I really like Laura Lipman a lot. And um, I like Gillian Flynn. So um, there's I, I'm always willing to try someone new. Um, but th those are ones that I will go back to, you know, time and again. Yes, uh, Michael, I th I'm hoping he's going to come on the podcast later in the year. I have approached him and he said when he's ready to launch his next book, he'll give it serious thought. So I'm really excited about that. He's yeah, I love Good Girl, Bad Girl. That was excellent. So uh, That's right, yes. Look, we're starting to come to the end of our time together. So circling around and looking back over your life, I noticed at the beginning you mentioned about babies and books. You've managed now to have had both babies and books, I think, yes. haven't you? <laughs> Eventually successful having uh, having two children. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Look, at this stage in your life, if you were doing your career part all over again, is there anything that you would change about how you've approached it? <laughs> well, you know... <laughs> I've been a little random in my career path. My kids are in their early 20s now, so they are setting off in their careers. And I'm I'm always kind of like, don't don't do what I did. <laughs> I was a little random. I, I I don't think that I knew exactly what. Uh, you know, they're always saying follow your passion. I, I did not have a passion when I was. When I was 22 or 23, and it's only now, uh, much later in my life, that I feel that writing is my passion and that teaching is a passion. Um, so I, I don't think I would have been a very good teacher in my 20s. I, I did not know enough about life, and I certainly would not have been a great writer in my 20s because I definitely did not. You know, I, I had tried to write some fiction in my 20s, but uh, I, I just didn't have anything to say really. So I would say that write, writing is one of the, you know, unlike music or ballet uh, or, or ice skating or something that you have to be good at when you're very, very young. Uh, writing is something you can get good at much later in life. You know, it's really never too late to become uh, a writer. If you can, you know, if you can dictate even, even if you can't type, if you can dictate, it's not, you know, you can still write. So Yeah, that's great. So what is next for Sue S.W. Hubbard, the writer? What have you got on your desk for this next 12 months, say? 
Well, when you called me, I was finishing uh, up my word count for uh, the Frank Bennett book that I'm writing right now, which is called Ice Jig. It takes place. All, all the Frank Bennett books have uh, vaguely fishing related titles. I got into this fishing uh, theme, but uh, there's really not that much fishing that takes place. But there's, there's actually a lot of interesting uh, uh, fishing <laughs> equipment that has sounds sinister. So, <laughs> um, so I'm writing ice jig right now and, and that will be out I'm finishing it up. That will be out March 23rd. And um, then I'll move on to writing the next uh, life in Palmerton story, which is called life upended. And I'm hoping that that will be done by the end of the summer. And then we'll move into the next uh, a state sale mystery, which I just got the cover for yesterday, and that will be called Rock Bottom Treasure. It's about a woman who is a uh, rock journalist, an, an aging rock journalist, and Audrey is helping her sell her rock and roll memorabilia. Oh, that sounds great. It sounds a weenie bit like that very popular one last year, the Daisy, Daisy Giants. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've got... Um, Stevie Nicks now having an estate sale. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> oh, that sounds wonderful. You you sound as if you've got it wonderfully under control. It's it's um very impressive. Oh, I don't know about that. My husband's always saying to me, "Why don't you make an outline?" <laughs> but I'm a pantser. I don't outline. So <laughs> now, so. I, I, we've already established that you enjoy interacting with your readers and that you're willing to listen to their suggestions. How, how do you like to interact and where can they find you? Uh, I have a Facebook page that's very, uh, very active, SW Hubbard author. And if you look for me there on Facebook, you'll get to see pictures of my dog, Libby, who my husband has taken out for a walk right now so that you don't hear her barking in the background. Um, and uh, I'm on I'm on Twitter. I'm on Goodreads. So uh, absolutely, please. Uh, and my website, SWHubbard.net. So uh, definitely look me up online and uh, shoot me a message and I'll definitely answer you. The other thing that I would really like to mention is that you also are very happy to talk to book clubs, aren't you? I am. I love book clubs. Um, I love my own book club. In fact, I joined my book club when I came to talk to them about one of my books. They were reading one of my books. They invited me to come and talk to them. And then I liked them so much that I became a member. <laughs> but that, that can only happen once. So I'm, <laughs> I'm in that group. Um, but I, I do love to, uh, I, I'll come to anyone, any, any book group in New Jersey in person. But uh, I, I also do it online by Skype or FaceTime. And it's a lot of fun. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, all of the links to your books and, and your websites and the social media will have all of those in the show notes. So they're easy for people to find. So just remember it's S.W. Hubbard, Sue Hubbard. Thanks so much for your time today, Sue. It's been really great. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. 
The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audio services at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.